Sports, 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 though. Nothing happened here of sports, apparently. Coming to you from independent remote quarantine locations with me tonight are my co-hosts, the exclamation point, the passionate one, Reed. Roll Tide. And the question mark, the man who cares nothing about sports, Rowdy. Roll Tide. And in the middle of the period, my name is Snoop Gentleman. Episode 172. How are we? Oh, I had a week off. Pretty well, thanks for asking. Oh, that sounds good. I just got back from a trip to New York City. What the hell? Uh, Spent the holidays in the city. Uh, Stayed at a hotel by Central Park. Um, Just kind of relaxed, ordered a lot of rooms. Look at that contraption. Um, Had a really nice time with family. This is, it's a tape, so it's premeditated. I mean, consider that for yeah, a moment. He did this earlier. Yeah, this is earlier. This is with the intention of playing this. <laughs> oh, I like at le- it. At least tell him oh, what happened, God. Robbie. What just All happened? right, so that was, uh, that was a Talk uh, vintage 1992 uh, Talkboy from the hit movie Home Alone. Two. Uh, because we're talking about the movie. We're talking about uh, Home Alone tonight. Yeah, eventually. We meant right? to do it last last week. Yeah. And then we Snoop met- was like, oh, my baby, he's so sick. Oh. Sorry, yeah, I don't sound know. Like? Was that? Well. That happened. <laughs> most Is that of the what time, I sound like? Yeah. That's what your text Well, via like. text. That's your text. <laughs> that's your text voice. That's. Yep. Yeah. Um, there was a, so, a lot of passing the baby back and forth that night. Yeah. It was very That's odd. That's okay. I understand. But it came out happens. of nowhere. So it, it was not as you uh, alleged that I was unprepared. Because I think I'm... Uh, yeah, thanks. Let's, yeah, let's, let's run this back. This is a good, this is a good bit. Filthy animal. Thanks for asking. Where did you find that? Oh, this was yeah, mine. What the hell? This yeah, was mine. And it's it? it's funny because my my wife came downstairs. She's she mm-hmm. was uh, <laughs> like, hey, I found that talk boy, um, and I have this old. <laughs> blank cassette tape that would probably work in that. So I was like, oh, let's see if we can get this working. So I got the batteries in, showed my kids what cassette tapes were, and, and explained their usage. Oh, that's so weird. And it, mm-hmm. and it worked. And I was like, did you know that we were going to talk about Home Alone tonight? She's like, no, I had no idea. Yeah. So... I don't know if I'm uh, if I'm less surprised that you had a talk boy or that she <laughs> yeah, just happened to have a blank cassette tape 30 years after you had a talk boy. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, we'll welcome everyone to our sports podcast. Uh, and I guess this of this night it will also be our Home Alone podcast. We're, we are always There's late. no way we're getting both of these in. Oh, we're totally getting it in. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I've had. I'm pretty sure I've had this this exact conversation. Seventy-one other times, Rowdy. (laughs) You you realize that, right? (laughs) (laughs) One hour. We've got one hour, so let's get to it. Let's get to it. Hey, Rowdy. How about some sports? How about it? First headline: Notre Dame comes up shorts. What? 
<laughs> yes, that's right. No, is no, that no, headline? Is, is there a typo in in this headline, nope. Snoop? Nope. But several pairs of shorts. Yes, that's right. Oh. Notre Dame went down to North Carolina to face the Tar Heels in a, an ACC tilt. Oh, this is basketball. Yes. Yeah. Oh. See, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, oh, you tricked me. Mm-hmm. Well, here's here's the story. Notre Dame lost the game on a last second shot by Leaky Black. Um, he hit the go ahead jumper with just seconds remaining, so they lost sixty five sixty six. That's a real heartbreaker, especially because it takes the Irish to three and six and zero and three in the conference. But the real Oof. story is the sartorial choices made by Coach Mike Bray on the sidelines. Now, I know we've been getting mm. loosey goosey with our dress during the pandemic. But what Mike Bray decided to do took things to another level. He, he, I was trying, gonna try and make a pun, but I can't even do it. He wore shorts, t-shirts and shorts to coach. Like basketball shorts nope. or like or, or cargo shorts? Capris. Go ahead and click on that link, buddy. You can take a look yourself. Pedal pushers. It was just some nice khakis. Probably got them from Brooks Brothers. Looks like he's he's going out maybe for a Fourth of July cookout. With That's a nice he, with see. a nice polo. Nice polo, got the Irish logo on there. This is a grown and, man. And his mask down under his mm-hmm. chin. Smart. Yeah, well, oh, when he's you got a, a nose nudist. When you got to no, well, you got to talk to a complete stranger on the basketball court. You got to make sure they see your face. Apparently, <laughs> it's real smart. Oh, this is basketball. Okay. Yeah, we covered that. I was. That I thought well. it was odd for a football coach to be out there dressed like this, and and I was also wondering why he was standing on a wooden floor. This is all making a lot more sense now, seeing it, this photo and hearing your explanation. So what you're telling me is this is the re- exact opposite of Jack Del Rio's Reebok suit. This is yes, we have degraded into this. And Reed, I know okay. that I know that you have yeah, devolved. It's a de evolution. Um Yeah. Yeah. I Reed, I know you have some some strong opinions about what people should and should not be wearing. I think you and yeah, I got dress for the occasion. Yeah, well the occasion was coaching a college basketball <laughs> game. And this is what he dressed uh, like. Generally I'd rather i I'd rather see flip sides than shorts. Flip side. What's flip oh, side? Oh yeah, yeah. Flip, flip side. Yeah. Flip side sweats. You you wanted the, to look like the sweats you, you can just pull off. I'm you trying to think if I've ever seen you wearing shorts, Reed. Oh, Do I don't wear any? shorts very often, but I used to wear them a lot. Mm. Yeah. With Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> I think I yeah. only wore shorts. You didn't have to say that. No one was really pulling your. I'm not. I hate. I got some knockoff Crocs that I got with Big City Adam in New York City last I, fall, and I, I still be- sport them. I believe those are called Crocoffs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. There you go. <laughs> That's the official term. And you know how I discovered them? When we got to New York and got out of the cab, he comes downstairs in a pair of Crocs. I said, "Where the hell did you get those?" He goes, "I'll take you to the store." And I said, "Bet." <laughs> I, will, I will take you there, sir. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your guys take on this like general what a couple things general pandemic where where are we at with this i mean we've noticed the coaches on the sidelines have gotten a little loose and they have i mean i don't like it shockingly right yeah well the way you dress i'm that's honestly i've looked at some exactly. other google image Im- images of this guy I, I like the shorts with the polo look compared to uh compared to his normal look because I feel like normally he looks he looks like a cross between um, Jack Nicholson 
current day Jack Nicholson and the guy from the villain from the movie The Mask when he is wearing the mask. Mm. That's my impression of of his ordinary look. So I so, think. But, but that's his face. So somehow you're saying that the shorts distract from his face. Yeah. Yeah. That's okay, a good that's look. Gotcha. That's why I wear shorts. <laughs> to distract from your face? Yeah. I feel like you're doing something wrong with your legs, if that's the case. Have you seen my legs? Yeah, they look good. You got, chick- oh, you got chicken legs? Yeah. I have birthmarks all over my body. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, put on a suit and tie, get with it, coach your team. Come on. Well, this is the thing. Like, Mike Bray doesn't wear ties. He hates things around his neck. So up yeah. until 2016. He, he often sports turtlenecks with not a anymore. jacket, which not is anymore. not a good look. Yep, not anymore. So that ha- that ended well, in 2015, 2016 after one of his daughters told him he looked ridiculous. Well, I'm well, glad. Okay, I, I respect that daughter. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so he was just wearing uh, the dress shirt unbuttoned. But he won't. He refuses to wear a tie. I can respect I mean, that. I like I, if you. I like this guy. I like this guy. If you want to be comfortable, and you're the coach at Notre Dame, you don't wear basketball shorts, or you don't wear any kind of short. You wear vestments, and you put the full robe on, and you roll. <sighs> you roll out with that. It's a real missed opportunity here. Yeah. He could come out with a smoking any, ball and everything. Yeah. Why don't Notre? Yes. Just okay. put the vestments on, man. Let's do this. Mm. Yep. So what's your thoughts on uh, Huggy Bear, then, mm. from West Virginia? Bob Huggins from, from West Virginia. Okay, he, let me Google image search this guy. Bob typi- Huggins? Mm-hmm. He typically sports uh, the, the short-sleeve windbreaker look <laughs> with, with oh, I yeah, believe, this guy. I believe this guy looks like Larry over. Bird ate Larry Bird. <laughs> but look <laughs> at that suit, though. Matching shoes? It does yeah. look like Larry Bird ate Larry Bird. That is... V- that- <laughs> That's Larry Bird's long-lost brother. Mm-hmm. God, look at that. That's unreal. I never mm-hmm. noticed that before. These guys like their slick back hair, too. Mm-hmm. I think once oh, yeah. you become well, of an age. Pat Riley. Yeah. Yeah, you become of an I age. I mean, Bruce Pearl with the Tennessee Orange. I mean, he did it back in the day. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, now he's, now he's coaching. Where is he coaching? I can't even remember. He was coaching he was at Auburn. Auburn, and yeah. then yeah. Honestly, uh, I think that this guy, the his his fat Larry Bird look is better than his younger look because when he was when he was younger, when he was not like a young fit man, but he was starting to put on weight, but still a young man, he mm-hmm. looked like Francis from. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Yes, that's what <laughs> I've always thought. Nice bike, Pee-wee. It's not uh, for sale, Francis. Yeah, I mean, mm. like, straight up Francis face. Mm-hmm. So. Yep. Well, we're doing well on time, guys. This is our yep. first headline. Okay. 15 minutes. Uh, yeah, sh- so far so good. So let's do a quick speed round because we did cover bowl games the last time we spoke. So there, there were a few... Uh, funny stories from those bowl games. So first of all, we spent quite a bit of time on the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Um, mm-hmm. Snoop, well, what happened? Well, what happened up. at this Duke's Mayo Bowl? A real missed opportunity happened. 
Yes, a couple missed opportunities for sure. Okay. Uh, first thing, we spent a lot of time on Duke's Mayo, which, which their slogan I found out was, it's got twang. Not bad. Oh. Fine. Oh, I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that. And that's yeah. a good, yeah, that's a good description for a good mayo. I like that. Yeah, it's very good. So they, Duke's Mayo Bowl against Wake Forest versus Wisconsin. Wisconsin wins the game 42-28. One of the big things that happened in this game. That's a cover for Rowdy, by the way. Was, was Yeah, there you go. Was on the sideline where um, around the end of the game, a Duke's Mayo Gatorade size uh Cooler. Water cooler Co- showed yeah. up. Uh, Watercolor. Now, if you were watching football, like as the, I'm sure like you, to dump on the coach. Well, as you, right. if you were watching like the Cheez It Bowl, the same thing happened. They yeah. went to dump the Gatorade. You'd on have loved this, Rowdy, and it was full of Cheez Its. My yeah. mouth just they started watering. <laughs> just immediately, five right? Five gallons of Cheez Its over his head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, and you don't typically go with the liquid measurement when you talk Cheez-Its, but in this no, case, you do. It's true. You, do. you don't even yeah. need you don't even need a trophy at that point. They That's... they dumped five cubic liters of Cheez-Its <laughs> over his head. So at this point, knowing what happened at the Cheez-It Bowl, seeing what's possibly con- being conspiring uh, over at the Duke's Mayo Bowl, the internet starts going crazy. Like, holy crap, they're gonna pour five gallons of mayo. <laughs> <laughs> on the coach. That's so awesome. <laughs> I was like, this is happening. This is going to happen. They're going to pour. Please let this happen. But when it, when uh, Paul Christ actually wins the game, which my contention was Paul Christ, coach of the Wisconsin Badgers, when, when, when the internet started chattering, my thought was, do you think that the, the, this is the first time Paul Christ is going to be covered in mayonnaise? That's true. Good call. Absolutely. You could Google him. This is not the first time he would be covered in How do you spell his last name? Like Christ? C-H-R-Y-S-T. Oh, wow. So it's like, he's like Jesus, but a bad boy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Bad boy Jesus. Yeah, he's the SoundCloud rapper of Jesus. Okay. It's like spelling Zach with a K. He's in the temple all the time. (laughs) Yeah, that's that's right. (laughs) Banging tables. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. Uh, just banging them. Just knocking tables down. Yeah, look at uh, this guy. Hmm. He's yeah. house some mayo. Yeah. For yeah. sure. He but was disappointed it wasn't mayo. Yeah, Let's he be was. honest. That's a good point. I hadn't even thought about his feelings. <laughs> I was just yeah. thinking about mine. Consider that guy. Yeah. <laughs> what a selfish if lover. Been, if it had been Brett Bielema, it would have happened. It would have. It would have been borderline <laughs> erotic. Yeah. <laughs> it was Bielema. <laughs> Uh, so they go to pour after the game, they pour the Duke's Mayo Gatorade cooler over him and it's just, it's just water, but it's like, I, I don't know, can you food color, put food coloring in well, water to make it, it could have been that, it could have been that white Powerade, like the uh, mountain yeah. ice white. Powerade or whatever. Yeah. yeah. So it was like lemon ice Powerade or whatever. So it was. Yeah. It was a real. It wasn't even thick. Yeah. At least you could have thrown some like cornstarch in there and thicken it yeah, up. Make it how do you nice think, roux. How do you think a, nice a cooler roux. full of mayo would come out? Because you normally don't just clumpy and in heavy wads. That's mm-hmm. what I'm want. Like, would would a giant cooler sized shape of mayo just have plopped out on him? So and I can. It, it might have concussed him. I can answer some of this. <laughs> 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 Uh, 
Uh, fill out that insurance uh, insurance yeah. form. So what happens? My sir? five gallons of mayo. <laughs> mayo just coming at me, <laughs> right in right in my cerebellum. Um, yeah. I would say if it were Duke's mayo, it would not come out. Because like I like I talked about before, it's got a good it's like Dairy Queen. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah, yeah. But mm. after the game, here's what happened: some while while celebrating in the Wisconsin locker room, somebody dropped the trophy. It was a crystal football, oh. and it was dropped. Shatters it's. everywhere. Yep. And I believe this was the the inaugural Duke's Mayo Bowl. So now no oh trophy. My. Oh my. <laughs> But don't worry, folks. They fixed it. They duct taped. It was more athletic tape. They athletic taped a 16-ounce jar of Duke's Mayo squeezable bottle on top of it. <laughs> they should uh, just keep that as the trophy. Yeah. It was be- I saw a picture of that. That was beautiful. Yeah. Crystal football is old news, man. That's a repeat. That's some BCS era crap. Just put yeah. that mayo up there. Yeah. Look at, Rowdy, look at this. I'm, I'm going to show you. the grilled cheese bowl. Ooh. Do you do uh, mayo on your grilled cheese? Absolutely. Are you, are you mayo or are you butter on the outside? No, mayo. You got to have Same. the oil. Same. Yeah. Yep. I think it gets a better crisp. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So here's the, here's the uh, cooler in question, Rowdy. And now yep. tell me this doesn't look like a jar of mayo. Just a five-gallon bucket of mayo. Take a look mm. at that. Okay. Yes, it's got twang. It's got that twang. Looks, looks pretty <laughs> great. I, yeah. I I do like that in this whole process of creating this thing that they still went ahead and kept the nozzle as if it was a whole <laughs> yeah. thing of mayo. As, as if it would come out. <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh man. And somebody's like, mm, I could take a shot of mayo right about now. So. Oh, well, so, so this disappointing. Egg whites, this was not the protein. only. Uh, this was not the only excitement during these bowl games. We also had uh, something a little bit ironic happen at the Lockheed Martin Armed Forces Bowl. What? Uh, what? What went down here? A bit Absolute of a battle. Absolute mayhem. Yeah. Bench clearing mayhem. You're saying at the Armed Forces Bowl there was a fight? Yep. People got violent. Wow. And, yeah, surprisingly. And, you know, Big City Adam and Snoop and I have had conversations over the years about how stupid it is. football fights are so stupid because guys punch each other when they have helmets on. Well, in this case, a guy didn't have a helmet on and he got caught with a combination. Now, the guy that threw the combination lost his feet and wiped out, but he still landed that combination. We had a mm-hmm. foot stomping in the chest. Mm-hmm. We had a lot of things going on here with Mississippi State. Tulsa. Uh, and all, all the time while Mike Leach was in the crowd taking selfies. Yep, yep. <laughs> yes, the pirate captain himself, Mike Leach, Mr. Bigfoot, <laughs> did not miss a beat. He was just walking around, dopey as ever, looking around. Hood, hood, hood. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, there was some there was some serious fisticuffs. Like, apparently this started before that the game. That was a good brawl. Yeah, there was some it pushing did. and shoving before the game, and then after there was a the lot game, of shirtless Hulk Hogan style flexing before the game, mm-hmm. like where you you make fists and you know you you pop out your pecs and you start roaring at people. There was a lot of that. And now, mm-hmm. a couple of the guys were defensive linemen. It was like you know you guys should probably put your shirts back on, but uh, I mean there was a lot of flexing. 
Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And it, hmm. it was just about everybody. There wasn't a lot of folks trying to break it up. Obviously, like we said, Le- Leach had no idea what was going on. He was just over there pontificating on aliens. So, yeah, well, that was a, yeah. that was a wild brawl. But it was, to Reed's point, like we, they actually solved a lot of the problems we've always had with football brawls, which is helmets. Yeah. They just went in and took yeah. those off. Really went That's for smart. It. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. The combo, the combo that one dude threw, it wasn't terrible. He just no. lost his feet. Just lost his feet and then got jumped on. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> very weird. So. Uh, and the game, if you're interested at all, Rowdy, the game did end twenty six twenty eight. It was a real barn burner. Thought Tulsa had it there for a while before uh, uh, Mississippi State scored there at the end. Uh, by the way, that's also a cover mm. for Rowdy. Yeah, no, I was oh, noticing nice. as the games were coming across the crawl that he was doing surprisingly well. Yeah, we'll, we'll, have, to, to, we'll have to give it once they're all. Oh, well, are they all over now? Uh, except for that one, I don't know when it is. I don't know who's playing. Yeah, but it's all right. I can, I can next wait. week. Next week, Rowdy will go over your. I can't wait to hear how well I did. Well, speaking uh-huh. of doing well, do pretty well. Uh, how about uh, how about the Alabama Crimson Tide? How about that Alabama Crimson Tide? About seven minutes into the first quarter, they just decided they're going to shut down their offense and just cruise on into this victory against the Notre Dame Fighting Irish. Uh, what was the final there, Snoop? Thirty-one fourteen. Thirty-one fourteen. Yep. Yeah, 31-14. Devontae Smith, Heisman Trophy winner. Three touchdowns, 150-plus yards. Mac Jones uh, had, a, had another good day. Najee Harris uh, hurdled a six-foot-two defensive back uh, from a he, – he took about, I don't know, six, eight steps, got about seven yards to decide he was going to – Pogo right over a defensive back and run for a career-long 53 yards on yeah. one of the opening runs for the Crimson Tide. Now, uh, next you, up for the Tide, Rowdy, yo, your Poison Nuts. How do we feel about this? I feel well, great. Before we get into that, real quickly, let's go back to this. Uh, let's go back to this this hurdle because Najee Harris might be this the the second. He's a freak. Uh, most redeemable thing to come out of Alabama since Jalen Hurts. What's the first? Jalen Hurts. Oh, Hurts. I should have known. Only the, yeah. It's only the... You don't even yeah. like Amari Cooper or Julio Jones? No. No. They can all die in a fire. So this... Fair uh, enough. Fair <laughs> enough. This... The, the hurdle itself uh, came from a promise made to Megan Rapino. So I was telling you off air, his favorite yeah. athlete is Megan Rapino. Hmm. Uh, the the women's soccer player. Oh yeah, I remember that. Yep. And he had talked about this and said even like, hey, after my touchdowns, I do that arms wide open kind of stance, and kind that's like, to honor ta-da. her. Yeah. Um, uh, and he said he just admires her not only for her sport, but what she does outside of sports, and her willingness to stand up for what she believes in, and just calls her an inspiration. So he this came out. And she responded on his Instagram post, hurdle somebody for me. So with, <laughs> yes. His, I hadn't heard this. Yeah. And so on his first big run, he hurdled somebody. And she was like, I cannot believe that he actually did it. He actually and tried to I hurdle mean, somebody. 
incredibly done, too. Yes. Hmm. So she put in, you really did it. You did it for me, right? And he <laughs> responded back with, like, those, those prayer hands that said, yes, because she said, roll tide, and he, he gave her the prayer hands. So, yeah. The, that, the great was I'm not saying that's game. why he did it, but that is. Yeah, that's she pretty She said, cool. hurdle somebody, and he did. So. That's pretty cool. Post-game interview was pretty good. They asked Coach Saban about Najee Harris hurdling people. He goes, well, you know, and I've heard him say this before. He goes, we coach him not to do that. You know, it's not a safe play. It's not this, that, or the other. But Saban goes, he's extremely athletic, and, you know, every time he's done it, it's worked out for him. So what are you going to do? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's at least the third or fourth full hurdle. That was the best one, probably. Oh, for sure. That's the third or fourth one I've seen him do in his four years at Alabama. I mean, he was about five feet up in the he's, air. Yeah, he's six foot two, 230, 240 pounds, and just, I mean, just made that guy look a fool. It was awesome. And I think that they're from, Rapino and, and Harris are from the same city in California. That was That the would make thing. sense. Yeah, yeah, he's a California kid. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the whole yeah, game so we'll, was was a joke, um, but they did as predicted I, by you, I, Snoop. I do I will not give believe you credit for that. I, yeah, and I didn't, but I didn't think they'd cover. I didn't. I I think my yeah. final score was thirty four seventeen. That's um, better than mine. I had fifty three to three. Yes, you did. <laughs> yes, you did. <laughs> and you said this to twice, uh, or fifty three nine maybe. Yeah. yeah. No, I think yeah. it was three. <laughs> um, I do not see this. This was the lowest score that Notre Dame's or that Alabama's been held to, and I don't remember the whole how season long, since Saban has been a coach. Possibly, uh, it was at least the, it was Sarkeesian's, I think, lowest score. Okay, and yeah. you've said, oh, they just they they turned it down and they cruised into victory. When, especially since Nick Saban got his. Uh, uh, personal foul there in the fourth quarter screaming yeah. at the at the refs that gave up since, seven more since when has has a Saban coached Alabama ever cruised into a victory they don't take their foot off the gas so while I'm not trying to give too much credit to Notre Dame I will say I don't buy into the narrative that somehow Alabama said oh we got this in the bag we're just going to cruise on in I don't think that's the case Allow me to retort. Uh, <laughs> Please do. I th I think they took the foot off the gas because they didn't want to show their playbook. I think that the in the 10 or 11 days up to this game, whatever they had, I, actually it may not have been that long this year because of the whole weird COVID schedule, but I really do think they went into that game confident. I mean, anybody in their right mind went into that game knowing Alabama would win, I think. Now, the score is the where you can argue it. But, I mean, a 19-and-a-half-point favorite in the first round of the playoffs, that makes me think that Cincinnati and Coastal Carolina got even more insulted. First of all, if Vegas is going to give a 19-and-a-half-point advantage to Alabama. But I really do. I think that they kept some of it uh, close to the vest, that they didn't want to show a lot of their play calls and a lot of what they can do. Uh, you know, because it was the first game, they didn't want to show a lot whether they had to match up against uh, the Poison Nuts or Clemson. Now, I will say, Cle I'd love to see Clemson this year because if that 
defensive back that got three touchdowns scored on him is their best defensive back, then Alabama is going to score 100. Yeah. Uh, Rowdy, with your poison nuts coming in there, mm-hmm. it's going to be a mm-hmm. more interesting game, more interesting game. Uh, but Justin Fields took a big old shot to the ribs slash kidneys slash both. Uh and nobody really knows what kind of uh, health and condition he's in. Um, and, uh, you know, secondly, everybody's talking about Trey Sermon, the uh, running back for the Poison Nuts who set the all-time rushing record for the Big Ten championship game. Uh, let me tell you this first. Here first, you're going to hear it here on Sports, Sports, Sports first, ladies and gents. Oh, here uh, we go. Trey Sermon is a poor man's Najee Harris, and Alabama's defense sees Najee Harris every single day. So I ain't worried about Trey Sermon. Okay. I don't understand any of that, but, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, you Oklahoma here. couldn't use him. Justin Fields is also a transfer from Georgia, right? So he couldn't even get in the field in Georgia. That sounds right. He, yeah. I know he's a transfer, but I'm trying to remember. Yeah. I think he transferred. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be an interesting game, but it, it, well, the, Alabama is very likely to get their secret weapon back in Jalen Waddle, who if Jalen Waddle played the entire season, it's it'd be a tough running for Devonta Smith to win the Heisman Trophy, which he did with 1,600 yards and 22 touchdowns. And 105 catches, I believe, this season. Yes. Um, so, speaking I'm ready. Of the, speaking to the Fields injury, I did not know this. The Ohio State uh, football program required all of its players to sign what they called the Buckeye Pledge, which, as we've covered, the Buckeye is a poison nut. So it's a poison yeah. nut pledge. <laughs> <laughs> it's like some sort is this of like some kind of wannabe Tim Tebow sermon. No, it's like a hail. Lost? It's no, it's more Heaven's Gate than that, I believe. If you're oh, talking, okay. yeah, yeah, it's fresh pair of Nikes and five dollars and quarters. <laughs> right. <laughs> this don't this pass re- up the Kool Aid. Get the quarters. <laughs> yeah, uh, this requires the players to assume the legal risk if they contract COVID nineteen. So they this every is a player Buckeyes has a, policy. Yes, wow. and they they continued this because, like you said, no idea what injury he has. They did not give a diagnosis. They have not released the injury, which they're not required to. It's HIPAA, so I guess Justin Fields would have to say what the injury was. Yeah, but to but say Pat, let me know and I'll announce it on this podcast. I don't care. Yeah, we know yeah, that. No, yeah, you've done that. Yeah, <laughs> you did that. Well, two we weeks also ago. don't even know if he's even had an X-ray. Yes, yes, we don't know anything, and they just sent him back into the game. Hmm. Now he had a hell of a game. He had a hell of a int- game. No, to to read you like this because this gets into conspiracy theory. You know who's been a strong, uh, strong oppo- proponent of of uh, not paying players. I guess you would say a strong opponent of players' rights. Who's that? Gene Smith, the athletic director for Ohio State. He opposes oh, the idea shocker. of college players. He opposes the idea of college players advocating for themselves and unionizing. And he opposes the reform of signing any sort of endorsement deal. Hmm. 
while still earning wow. over a million dollars. So, sure. When you take that into consideration, and then somebody like Justin Fields, who's literally playing for his future, right, uh, gets injured, a, a goes twenty to, plus million dollar future, goes to the sideline, goes into the tent, nobody knows what happens, gets two shots, no diagnosis, and sent back out to the field. Now, in in today's America. Let me check beside me. Okay, I do have my soapbox. In today's America, <laughs> what we celebrate is the toughness. Instead of uh, denouncing uh, the stepping on of all of the workers' rights. Yep. And it's... It's all about getting your feet up on Pelosi's desk, player. It ain't about <laughs> anything else. It's not about anything else, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm excited for this matchup. I do believe it's the best matchup out of the four teams in the finals in the playoff. Uh, I do believe it's the best matchup. But uh, right now I think Alabama's a seven-point favorite last I looked. I do believe that if Jalen Waddle is cleared to play, that that goes to ten and a half. If Jalen Waddle's in, it's a ball game. Because well, you, you, got, you can only first. double one. You can only double one of them, and we got two, three other receivers that can do just just anything else. So, mm. uh, I I suspect early on Alabama's going to take some shots and then run ball control. If they get up fourteen, it's going to be a ball control game. So look for Najee Harris to ball out. But um, I'm going to hold you to that that this that this right. ball game is going to be a ball game. Because mm-hmm. he's we, not going to watch it, so he's going to have to hear about it. I guess it. time will I'll tell. Say, I'll say uh, right now 52 for Alabama, 24 Ohio State. Okay. All right. I think it's going to be way closer than that. I th- I'm, well, yeah. after, after watching that semifinal game, I think Ohio State is a lot better than we've given them credit for because we haven't seen them play. And I don't think that's not to take anything away from Alabama. I just think they're actually really good, and they have receivers I, this time. I understand mm-hmm. that point. The the one thing that sticks in my crawl with that is that Indiana game. Yeah, at Bloomington, double overtime. That's that's tough. They're and I think they kids. got they got up big time for Clemson because they lost to Clemson last year on uh, some squirrely officiating. And Dabo Sweeney ranked him at number 11 mm-hmm. instead of number four uh, in the coaches' poll, and I think that gave them a lot of, of firepower. But Alabama's not going to be that stupid to do something like that and give them anything to feed off of. So uh, I suspect Alabama's played conservative against Notre Dame, kept it close to the vest, and is going to pour it all out, especially now that this is Sark's last game. I think you're going to see some explosive plays. Well, speaking of explosive, Longhorn. Uh, how about that time yeah. Kevin McAllister uh, <laughs> rigged all Terrible. those traps and just exploded the hopes and dreams of the Wet Bandits? That was... Oh, you talking about mm-hmm. Marvin Harry? Mm-hmm. That was, was that a good transition? Of, no, that was one of the worst transitions. <laughs> okay. Well, we I wrote it out two weeks ago, so I wasn't sure how it would fit into. <laughs> yes. 
first time anybody says anything about explosions, <sighs> you're just going to shoehorn yeah. that in. Especially since the last episode we were supposed to do was only going to be about Home Alone. Right. We didn't that, really was need any that was this yeah. one. That was this one. This is yeah. that episode. Yeah. yeah. It's Lou's fault. You there lied to me about not talking about sports on the. I've been excited about this for like three weeks because I thought we weren't talking about sports. Well, go. Let's go. Well, let's go. Let's well, set it up. All right. So what are we doing? More minutes to talk about it. No, so let I us am, know. I am. Snoop, I'm a hard is, stop what, at sixty. Minutes. What was your dream? <laughs> what was your dream for this episode? And let's just let's just launch into it. Well, three perspectives on Home Alone. Great. It, let's go. Okay. Well, it wasn't even that. It was that I started thinking about Home Alone and the story structure, and I thought, you know, this is really why Home Alone of all movies. It's what's well, because it's the greatest documentary ever filmed. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And it I really does capture what life is like, at least what life was like in New York in the in the nineties. They were in Chicago. York. Chicago, yeah, definitely Chicago. Yeah, the burbs. Central Park. No, that's Home Alone too. Times Square. One, that's the wrong one, that, buddy. That's the no. wrong film. Yeah, that's the one where they tried to do, instead of actually walking around and following Kevin Callister, they tried to uh, recreate it. It was like a thin blue line kind of thing. Oh, no, we're getting the talk <laughs> boy thin out. thin red line. Uh, <laughs> I just got back from a trip to New York City. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's impressive that he queued that up. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes. So I was just thinking about how I was like, you know what? I really think Home Alone is a Western. Um, oh. That was my original thought. And I was going to, th- we, I thought we could talk about that. But then I started mm-hmm. diving a into it more. A deep dish Western. Uh, uh, yeah. Uh, oh, that's good. Yeah. See? Windy City Western. Yeah. <laughs> Windy City Western. There you go. <laughs> uh, but I started thinking about it more and I was like, well, maybe it doesn't fit into the, the story structure of a Western. Maybe it fits into something else. And so I started thinking about what if there's this three ways. This is Snoop's ways. favorite movie, by the way. He can recite it verbatim. And, top, yeah, top five. And top five. because of that, this is this and Pulp Fiction are, are the are two movies that I will never, ever watch with Don't Snoop. Don't watch it with Snoop. It is nope. a terrible experience. Oh, it's okay. Because you literally yeah. just hear Snoop say the lines a half second before they <laughs> say it on screen. It's awful. Awful. It's great. Anyway, carry I love on. It. Yeah. It's like that that's why I, from Green Acres. <laughs> that's why I watch uh, Home Alone alone on Thanksgiving Day. Because <laughs> no one else will watch it with me. Uh, I haven't introduced it to my kids yet. I don't know if they're going to love it as much as I do. This was, this was the year we introduced it to our children, and they loved it. Yeah. Oh, it's a great movie. How could you I mean, not? As soon as, as soon as all the booby trap sections started... Which yeah. kind of comes out of nowhere, honestly. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very it is. that whole slapstick se- yeah. uh, sequence is very different than the rest of the movie. Which is why it got me started because I thought this is the Wild Bunch. It's the mm-hmm. Wild Bunch, right? It, if you think really about that is. movie, yeah. you go into yeah. an area, you're 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 kind of a you've got people who are trying to invade your town, just like the Wild Bunch. You've got you've got to defend it. And you you aren't from that place, and there are people from the outside trying to get in. So, and then at the end of that movie, it just goes bonkers. Like there's not as much action anywhere else in that movie as you do in like the last 15, 20 minutes. And instead of a Gatling gun, he has you know a zip line he created and cuts and off. Micro I mean, all, you know, micro machines. Micro machines and and uh, paint, paint cans. cans. Yeah. 
So I was like, oh, and tar. Home nails. Alone is just Home, home Alone is just uh, the Wild Bunch. Well, or and it's got like elements of High Noon, where it's like, oh, I'm the only one, you know, mm-hmm. only Pale one Rider. protecting this town. Pale Rider, uh-huh. exactly. Yep, mm-hmm. yep. Pale so that's Rider. what got that's me thinking. But then I we I went like kind of a step further, and we when we started talking about it, that hey, I think Home Alone's a western, and then we came up with this idea of, to kind of think about the story structure of Home Alone, sort of in three different ways. So I looked at it from. Uh, Kurt Vonnegut's The Shape of a Story. Reed, you looked at it from the Joseph Campbell monomyth. Hero's Journey. Hero's, Hero's Journey. Journey, yep. Okay. Yep. And Rowdy, what did you do? Why don't you take this I, off? I've, this? I've explored ten, 10 views of Old Man Marley. Go for it. So who's Old Man Marley and where are we going? Oh, you this? want me to start? Sure. Okay, so the South Bend Shovel Slayer, Old Man mm-hmm. Marley. Mm-hmm. Um... Okay, first first version of Marley that I wanted to explore is Marley as the ghost of Kevin's Christmas future. Mm. So, I mean, obviously, his name is Marley, which I've immediately makes you think of, okay, Bob it's Marley, Marley. Jennifer Christmas Aniston movie, movie so Marley and Me. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So <laughs> the dog dies. <laughs> um, and he's, yeah. Which is mummified. a metaphor. Yeah, the salt turns It's a the, metaphor the for his relationship. It's a metaphor for, his, a metaphor for his relationship yep. with his son. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, a beautiful thing that died. Um, no, that was, a, that was a Russell Crowe movie. Beautiful thing. Beautiful oh, mind. yeah. Beautiful mm-hmm. mind, yeah. Um, so the th- my thought here is, um, you know, Marley is the ghost that appears to Scrooge essentially, you know, before, uh, before all the other ghosts start to show up to essentially, uh, give Scrooge a chance at redemption, um, and, and kind of warn him of what his, uh, what, what is coming. And so I think that if you look at, at Marley, he is kind of the, the mirror image of Kevin. He is, he is the reflection of Kevin decades in the future. He has, you know, he, he has no family. Uh, he's bitter about it, but he's too afraid to fix what he's, what he's broken. Um, and you get that connection between the two of them when uh, you first see Marley outside of the window and... Um, you're hearing the story about how he's the South Bend shovel slayer. And then he and Kevin kind of make eye contact. And so it's like, okay, no, this is, uh, this is, this is his warning. And so then when they finally meet at the church, um, you have old man Marley meeting, uh, young man Marley or old Kevin meeting young Kevin. And then both of them learn from each other, basically how to reset their lives. Um, so I think that's that's what I think the first view of of Marley is, and and I think it's pretty obvious. Like I don't think that's anything. I mean, they wouldn't have named him Marley if they weren't going for something like that. But and we have nine more of these. Oh yeah. yeah. How, okay, yeah. number two. <laughs> Still got that um, hard stop at sixty minutes. All right. So number two, uh, when we when we see old Another man Marley meeting. and Kevin in the shop. Um, when Kevin's buying some supplies, what what is it about Marley that that scares? Besides the fact that it's Marley, what is it about Marley that scares Kevin? His galoshes his, and his bandage. And yep, his, he and his puts his hand down on the counter, eyes. right? 
and we see, first of all, we see that the wound on mm. his hand, he, we have a bandage, and we Stigmata. actually see a shot where we can see that that wound has gone all the way through his hand. So it is, mm -hmm. it is, it's, the, it's stigmata. And then when we see him later at the church, that, that gross cloth, bloody bandage has become just a Band-Aid on the back of his hand. And then finally at the end, when we see Marley wave to Kevin at the end, we see that he doesn't have a wound on his hand anymore. So mm. number two Marley is Marley as a wounded healer. And so the, uh, this, this goes back to uh, Carl Jung and mm. this, oh, it's this archetypes. Yeah, well, so the, the, uh, there was actually a study done in 2016 that um, about 74% of counselors and psychotherapists have experienced one or more wounding experiences, which led them to their career choice. And so according to Jung, um, this is a quote from him, the analyst must go on learning endlessly and never forget that each case brings new problems to light and thus gives rise to unconscious assumptions that have never been uh, never before been constellated. We could say without too much exaggeration that a good half of every treatment that probes at all deeply consists in the doctor examining himself for only what he can put right in himself can he hope to put right in the patient. It's no loss either if he feels that the patient is hitting him or even scoring off him. It's his own hurt that gives the measure of his power to heal. This and nothing else is the meaning of the Greek myth of the wounded physician, which he's referencing in Greek mythology, the centaur Chiron, who was uh, one of the f few centaurs that was sort of uh, civilized, and he was known for his medical knowledge, and he kind of served as a... Um, you're pushing uh, four minutes on this number two here. Yeah. So. Uh, and so he was, two? He yeah, was poisoned two. by one of Hercules's poisoned arrows. Hercules. Um, so it's yeah. this, this archetype of a wounded Hercules. healer. And so I think as you see this uh, healing process between Marley and Kevin happen, you see, uh, you see Marley take this... Uh, taking this form of the wounded healer as he's as he's helping Kevin his own his own wounds are healing all mm. right and then number 10 Brilliant. um <laughs> number 10 <laughs> you know like one two ten yeah yep that was good that's a that home alone okay yeah that um, was good I got it I what's I Mar what's what's Marley's first name got a question for Mr. you Mr. Old Man Old Man we never hear his first name right Old well, man Marley. That's, that's kind of interesting, right? We never, even when, even when he and Kevin become friends, we never hear his name. Well, I, I've got the backstory. Um, it, it starts in France, it, around the year 1066. Oh, um, he's born oh, in Norman France. Norman invasion. Norman mm -hmm. invasion. About yeah. 30 years later, uh, he and his two brothers answer the call of Pope Urban II and join the First Crusade. Um, around the year 1097, he and his brothers find themselves in the army of Tancred, who is the nephew of Bohemond, the Prince of Taranto, uh, and they help capture the city of Alexandretta. Now, after they capture the city, and this is, this is in what would now be modern-day Turkey, um, after that, they set out to find and protect the Holy Grail. Nice. When they so, eventually, this is, so this has been kicked around for a long time. Yeah, well, Rowdy's excited about this because it's all getting back to Indiana Jones. Yes. It, yes. And so they find the grail, 
well, they return they return to the to the region of yeah. Alexandretta and they place it in the Temple of the Sun in the Canyon of the Crescent Moon, and there they protect it for 150 years. And then around the year 1250, his brothers travel back to Europe and leave him to guard the Grail, and he the, while drinking from the Grail extends his life. Um, every time his, he says, many times my spirit faltered and I could not bear to drink from the cup. So I aged a year for every day I did not drink. Uh, so then fast forward to the year 1939, uh, heroic archaeologist Indiana Jones finds the Holy Grail and old man Marley. And Marley is freed from his service to the Holy Grail. And he eventually finds his way to uh, what city? Chicago. Chicago. Well, outside. Nah, Chicago. where does where's he at before Chicago though? Subur- S- what? Who? S- so- oh, South, South Bend. Bend. South He's Bend the South Bend Shovel oh. Slayer. Okay. I'm half so, listening to you. This sounds really cool though. Okay, so here here are some connections here. Mm-hmm. So the name Marley, mm-hmm. according to some sources, derives from. Merlet, which was a fiefdom in Normandy. Okay, so he's he's potentially a Norman knight. Okay. Uh, okay. The got it. Army, the army that captured the city of Alexandretta. Uh, this guy Tancred and his uncle, they were from Italy. They came from Italy, but they were Norman knights who essentially came down and conquered part of Italy. Uh, so we've got potentially a, a, a Norman Marley fighting for a Norman prince and his, and his uncle. Um, and then, uh, Reed, let me ask you this. This is some Indiana history. Who do you think the okay. first white European was that, to set foot in South Bend? John Connor. Nope. Uh, his from name, Terminator? No, from Connor Prairie. <laughs> It was LaSalle. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. Up. It was yeah. LaSalle. LaSalle. And, and we're that in and LaSalle. That, that, what kind of a name Francois. is LaSalle? What kind of Probably a name is that? Mm-hmm. Sounds like a French name, right? Well, it's not only French. LaSalle was born in Rouen, the capital of Normandy. So... There's a lot of connections here. I've, I've, I, 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 I'm, I'm trying to connect a lot of these dots for you. Um, you guys ever been to Normandy? It's wild. No. No. Come on, man. I don't have a private jet like you. Yeah. <laughs> we can't all be small Reed flies owners. over there every, every Veterans Day and lays wreaths. And Found a vertebrae I mean, on the beach there once. Ooh. Mm. Of what? A human. <laughs> what? Human, a human. Is this a real thing, human. or is this a, yeah. like a child? Is this like no. Hulk Hogan? We're like looking uh, for clams, and a vertebrae was on the beach. Hold yeah, up, are you trying weird. to say that you didn't see Hulk Hogan in a speedboat in Florida? <laughs> I'm saying, <laughs> yeah, you just well, dropped that on us. You've like made me. You, you guys have made me. I was thinking about this the other day. You guys have made me question much because I was thinking, Don't what if question. I met Hulk Hogan? No, I was like, I would ask him about just that. Just no. 
Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. As far as I'm concerned, you meeting Hulk or seeing Hulk Hogan on a speedboat out of a window at McDonald's in Florida. I wasn't inside the McDonald's. I was yeah. walking into it's the McDonald's. Canon. It's absolutely It's okay. canon. That, okay. Yeah. That, that happened. <laughs> yeah. All right. That and and <laughs> no one is disputing that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Never. And simil- similar <laughs> canon. Old Man Marley is the Grail Knight from Indiana Jones and in the Last great. Crusade. I, I think... I've laid out a pretty uh, airtight case here, yep. so that's the ten. That's the ten versions of Marley. Uh, mm-hmm. Who wants to Minus go next? Seven. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Reed, what do you got? All right, so I did uh, Home Alone. And you got just, of, just to be clear, you have four minutes. Oh come okay, on! I'll, let, I'll edit out some of the boring sports stuff, so that'll buy us more go. time. Uh, through the lens of Joseph Campbell's A Hero's Journey, uh, uh, based on his famous book, A Hero with a Thousand Faces, which was published in 1949. Now, if any of you think, oh, I'll order that book and read it, don't. It is dense as hell. Just watch the Bill Moyers interviews with uh, Joseph Campbell in his home in Hawaii right before his death, and that'll give you everything you need to know about the hero with a thousand faces and the hero's journey. That's it. So what Joseph Campbell did, based on what Rowdy mentioned earlier on the uh, Jungian archetypes of a hero's journey, he has 12, technically I think there are 17 or 18, but it's been basically narrowed down to 12, narrowed narrowed down even further for script writers uh, Hmm. in recent years down to eight. But I'm going to go through the 12 really quickly. All right, so act one, you're in the ordinary world. Act one, uh, starting out, you're in the ordinary world where Kevin McAllister is an eight-year-old boy. He's seemingly helpless. Mm. He can't pack his own suitcase. Mm. He's getting kind of run suitcase. over by. He's getting kind of run over by his by his family. All mm-hmm. of this kind of action, and then he says, "I wish you guys would just disappear or go away or leave me alone." Whatever he says, no. Snoop. Would no, 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 yeah, no. Let's back it up here because this guy yeah. got to get this right. He wasn't getting stepped on. He was the only one getting dumped on. Okay, continue. <laughs> Correct. Anybody Peace. order a cheese Just pizza, all the plain cheese pizza's gone. Damn it. I have to sleep in the attic. Cetera, you're ruining this for me. You're absolutely, yeah, you're ruining this for me. Go ahead. <laughs> yeah. So we move on to the call to adventure. The call to adventure for Kevin is he wakes up and his family has vanished. Now, mm. after the call to adventure, which is the beginning of the hero's journey, we move into the refusal. So Kevin's refusal is... When he first sees Marvin Harry getting ready to break into his house and he scares him off with the old timer movie with the guy with the uh, Tommy Angels gun. With the, yeah, that's right. Angels and, with dirty faces. But he refuses the call for his quest by hiding under the bed and being fearful. So you move mm. on to the meeting of the mentor, which ties right into your thing, Rowdy, where he first meets Marley. Again, it's. It's a hybrid of the meeting of the mentor and a refusal because when Marley waves at him, he gets hmm. scared, ducks under the window, does all that action. Now, we as we move in from Act 1 to Act 2, we cross the threshold. So crossing the threshold is uh, for Kevin... 
in the movie is getting back to the house once he talks to old man Marley at the church when the bells chime eight or nine o'clock and he has to get back to the house because he knows those uh, Marv and Harry are going to break in. So that's the crossing the threshold into act two, which is the kind of foreign world or the world outside Mm -hmm. the normality. Mm -hmm. So then he goes into the test allies and enemies phase, which where he tests himself uh, and he realizes that he's kind of screwed up and he doesn't know who his enemies and his allies with, which is uh, which is illustrated through his stealing of the toothpaste when he goes and runs Mm. the errands at the grocery store. He forgot he had toothpaste in his pocket. So that's kind of that's kind of his test allies enemy. Mm -hmm. He approaches his innermost cave and. And when he talks to the cashier at the at the yeah, other yeah, store, exactly, she's he questioning passes her him. test. He passes, he passes her, her test. test. Yeah, yeah. He's well, eight where's years Where's your old. mom? He's got the yeah. coupons. Yeah, the whole nine. Yeah. So then the hero approaches his innermost cave. So this is the deep point, sometimes called the abyss, not to be confused yeah. with the Jodie Foster movie of the uh, 1990s. <laughs> so he approaches the uh, his innermost cave when he visits Santa, sits on Santa's mm-hmm. lap, and asks all he wants for Christmas is for his family to come back. So that's mm-hmm. when he's really dealing with his innermost challenges and his lowest point. The next is the ordeal. Everybody knows about the orde- ordeal. Shingles with nails in them, hot doorknobs, paint cans, micro machines, uh, ornaments in front of the window, the whole nine through the ordeal. So next is the reward, or also called the seizing of the sword. That is the beatdown of Marvin Harry when he finally defeats Marvin Harry and runs off the mm-hmm. wet bandits from his from his house. With the help when, so, when he does the yes, yeah, when he does no the yes and the zip line and the mm-hmm. whole nine with that, yeah. So when you're moving from the extraordinary world. From the or from the ordinary world to the extraordinary world, then you return to the ordinary world. So the beginning of Act Three is the road back. The road back is when Marley helps Kevin by knocking mm-hmm. out the wet bandit with the shovel when they catch him when he's running from the treehouse from the zip line, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. they catch him and Marley knocks him out. And the next to last phase is the resurrection. And in Home Alone, I think the resurrection is Kevin waking up in his parents' California king bed on Christmas morning and going downstairs and expecting everything to be back. Now, notice he has cleaned up the house. He's restored all the order Mm. to his ordinary world and done all that. And then the final stage is the return to the elixir. So that's when... Mrs. McAllister gets home, sees Kevin. When Buzz and the rest of the family get home, he's he's uh, returned the elixir or he's achieved his hero's journey because he has been able to be self-sustainable for two or three days. He, he did laundry. He went to the grocery store. He fed himself. He showered. He did all that. And people are impressed, except for Buzz, who mm-hmm. is really irritated that Kevin stole his money and released his tarantula. So that mm. is Joseph Campbell's hero's journey for Home Alone. I like it. It fits. It's weird it fits. It's very weird it's re- it fits. Uh, but it, it is weird that it fits, <laughs> but when you like read the synopsis of each section of the hero's journey, Act 1, Act 2, Act 3, 
I mean, it, it, Joseph Campbell, this is 1949, man. Joseph Campbell knew what he was doing. This is a universal kind of storytelling narrative. So I dare you to find a film or a movie that's not what, who's the Mulholland Drive dude? Um, David, David Lynch. Lynch. David Lynch. That's not a David Lynch film. Or, okay, or, I was going to say. Know, all one right. of those kind of postmodern, more kind of postmodern films. Hmm. But every kind of modern hero's journey, quest story, anything plugs yep. into the system, no doubt about it. We've yep. talked about it before. Dances with Wolves, Legends of the Fall, Amadeus, all of these stories would plug right into this system. Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's actually when I first studied this stuff back in college, when I took a course on mythology, it kind of blew my mind because I was all in the postmodern phase that, you know, everything, there's kind of a relativity to everything and not everything lines up. But this, this has convinced me that there are seemingly universal narratives to human experience to an extent, at least in oral culture. Well, I think, yeah. And that kind of leads into mine. And I think you're on to that, obviously, you know, that Joe Campbell, he's on to something. Yeah. But I think that while there is a, uh, a narrative, a structure to it, which we all agree on, uh, I think the last one, like what uh, Vonnegut would say, is that doesn't, that doesn't necessarily tell the truth. So the way I approached yeah. it was because of, was through the lens of, Kurt Vonnegut's Shape of Story. So if you're not familiar with this, Kurt Vonnegut actually went to University Wait, of Chicago. Who's Kurt Vonnegut? He is an American author. Um, and a Hoosier author. A Hoosier author, yes. He's one of the Hoosiers doing great things. J.K. LOL, I know who he is. Yeah. <laughs> so Vonnegut wrote the story I always heard, and I actually didn't, didn't go any further than saying, oh, this is the anecdote I heard, was that this was his... Um, failed master's thesis at the University of Chicago for his uh, for a master's in anthropology. So he submitted this as his thesis, and they, they rejected it. Since then, it's, he's gone on and written quite a bit about it, and, you know, it's been... And 20-plus novels. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's done okay for himself. Yeah. Just great American novels, like Slaughterhouse-Five, Cat's Cradle, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So he kind of had, there was eight shapes of stories. Now, when he, what he would do is plot these out. So you have on your x-axis, mm-hmm. you have your um, what he, your g and your i is what he would say. So, is that right? No, on the y-axis, your g and your i. So your good fortune at the top, and ill fortune all the way down at the bottom. Hmm. And then bisecting that, you have your x-axis, which is essentially time. So beginning to end. So his consensus or his thesis was all stories fit on this in this graph. Now, there's stories that we all know about. Um, the, one of the most popular is what he would call the man in the hole. It starts somewhere uh, in the middle of the top mm-hmm. quadrant. Um, and good times. It's good space. Good times. Yeah. He's got good times. And then it drops down and it, things get low. They go past that equator and things are bad but then they slowly come back up and then somehow the the protagonist learns something about themselves by the, the end of the story so it's like cave, this the ordeal and the reward in essence yeah so it's it's essentially yeah. three parts of that so yeah. they get in the trouble and they get out so we're talking about i mean pretty much every story and and initially you may think yeah that's home alone 
things are pretty good. Then he has to go, he goes down into the hole when he's alone and he slowly builds himself up and gets to the top again, learns something about himself, is bettered by it and has some sort of experience that he overcomes. Similarly shaped, it's like there's this one boy meets girl. So boy meets girl starts kind of at the equator, goes up because they're in love, goes down because they reach some hardship and then goes up again everybody ha- lives happily ever after. So this goes on and on and on. Like Goldilocks or something, or um, Rapunzel or something like that. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, any, any rom-com, you're essentially, this is where you're starting, right? Yeah. I mean, it gets, it yep. gets good. Harry Everybody's met Sally. In love. Yep. 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 Everything gets good. Everything goes bad. And then there's some sort of reconciliation. From bad to worse, I mean, we all know it starts okay and then just goes down. Big, big like scoop down, uh, creation story. So things slowly, instead of going straight up, they kind of have like this stair step effect until when you get to the end of the creation story, this is one that people aren't as familiar. I mean, everybody's kind of familiar. That's kind of the Cinderella stair step. Well, well, the Cinderella story goes up, but she starts low. Yeah. She starts, Mm -hmm, she starts at the equator and she slowly goes up and then, uh, and then it drops down because with Cinderella, mm-hmm. the moment is, you know, midnight at midnight. You just drop below. You got to get there. Everything's lost. I lost my my uh, I lost slipper. my my slipper and my my carriage and everything else. And then you then it's slowly you start to get hope back and then you live happily ever after. Creation story is like the beginning of the Cinderella story where it slowly stair steps up, but then it just ends with utter chaos and doom and shoots down to the bottom and to the unending abyss of ill fortune. I feel like so that just happened. <laughs> yes. Similarly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was November 6th of 2020. Uh, yeah. Old, Old Testament uh, and New Testament are similar in shape where they go up and back down. But the one that I think most fits, um, the, it, because it's the truest story, is what he called um, Which Way is Up or hmm. the, the story mm-hmm. of life, which is like mm-hmm. he, he usually talks about, uh, I believe it's Macbeth. He usually says the story of Macbeth, and it's really just a straight line. And it's kind of like, it's just a flat line. Yep. The story doesn't, you don't really know if the things that are happening are good or bad. And you're probably sitting there saying that's your truth element. You can't can't determine the truth. Right. And why I think Home Alone fits in this specific story frame, after thinking about it for a long time and thinking originally, okay, well, it fits like a Western or it fits, at first I was like, well, it's clearly a man in whole, but here's why I think it's, it's, which it's this which way it's is Macbeth. up this Macbeth this yeah. Shakespearean story right it starts in a big house with a big family and everybody seems to be having a good time but f- Kevin like he says you know there's 15 people in that, this house spilled the, the two liter one, man yeah yeah you're the only one causing trouble and he's the only one getting dumped on so it's like yes pizza pizza party <laughs> oh except wait. <laughs> Kevin doesn't get his pizza. He has to go upstairs yeah. and sleep on the height of bed with Fuller. Oh, wait. All these things happening. Fuller so pees he, the bed. Except, so what happens? <laughs> We're like, crap, this is a bad situation. Fuller's going to come upstairs and pee the bed. Okay, so we'll take Fuller away. We won't send him up. We'll find somewhere else for him to sleep. Oh, but then what happens? Because of that good thing that happened, his family goes away. 
So it's like, yep. was it a good thing? We don't know because we don't have the full arc of the story. So every time we see something happen to Kevin, which seems like it's a good thing, it turns out maybe it's not such a good thing. And every time we think it's a bad thing, well, maybe it's not such a bad thing. Maybe it ends up being a good thing. Since you're, you're, yeah, it's the great yeah. unknown. So while this, every time something happens, we can't tell if it's good or if it's bad until we get the next part of the story. So it's just like life. Something seems like it's an up or it's a down, but then once the next scene happens, we realize the impact of the previous scene. So when he meets, let's say when he meets Marley for the first time, when he steals the toothbrush, well, that seems like a bad thing, but that was the impetus to him meeting his mentor later on. Had that not happened and he not run away and been scared, then he wouldn't have had this good thing happen to him later. Well, yeah, it was his existential kind of moment. Like he, he really, he really contemplated who he was. Like, right. he, how do you feel about the happy thief. ending? He thought he was a thief. But was it a happy ending? Do we know it was a happy ending? Here's what I mean. Well, by obviously that. not, because his ass got left when they went to Par- when they went to New York. Yeah, that happened too. <laughs> if you believe, if you believe in Home Alone oh, Two, oh, if you believe, you, you just got Snoop to admit that Home Alone Two is no, canon. No, if if you believe in Home Alone Two, I quickly you just, said you just oh, if you believe in Home Alone Two, then that happened. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I choose not to. I choose the parts of the book I like. Yeah, just the Old Testament <laughs> yeah. for me. Yeah. So here's why yeah. I say that. That's at like the, end. the Republican Party. Exactly. Here's, <laughs> yeah. here's, here's why I say the ending may not be as great as we think it is. And, and, and it leaves some ambiguity, right? So, it does. So we, cu- we cut to that last scene where uh, Mrs. McAllister comes home, right? And there's this big reunion. Now, you can take her story and do this same sort of thing. Every time you think she has a breakthrough, then it's, it may actually be a setback. Okay, she gets on the airplane to come home, but she's in the wrong town, so this is a setback. You know, so it, See, it, that's your point, too, because the Marley character is also fulfilled, or the, the um, what, meeting with the mentor is also fulfilled with John Candy's character for Mrs. McAllister. Oh, yeah. Hmm. So... It's a subplot. While we think it's good that, for her story, while we think it's good that she got home and, and she went through all this hardship, but, but she persevered, well, then minutes later, the rest of the family walks in because they took the flight that she didn't take. So really, was it a good thing that she went through all of this? Hard to say because they didn't, and they got back at the, basically the same time. Now, after, after all of this happens... Uh, Mr. McAllister finds the gold tooth. First off, finds the gold tooth. So oh, now, yeah. So now yeah. we've introduced this element that maybe he didn't get away with it. Maybe questions mm-hmm. are going to arise. Maybe there's going to be mm-hmm. more that happens afterwards. Gotta be. And then on top of that... I mean, if you found a gold tooth, wouldn't you be questioning your kids? Yep, exactly. And what's the last... <laughs> what's the last... What's the last line of the whole movie? Kevin, what did you do to my room? Boom. I'll see you in New York. <laughs> yes. <laughs> if, you, if you make it. <laughs> you filthy... You, well, that's, that's post the post-credits yeah, yeah. scene. 
So right. So what is the Kevin, last line? What did you do to my room? What did you do what to my room? It's Buzz. Uh, Buzz, Buzz has the last so, line. So, yeah. Yeah. Oh, look. Everybody's home. Happy reunion. Happily ever after. Except is it? Because now he's going to get stomped. That's why I think Home yeah. Alone is a tragedy. And I think that oh. the title of the movie is not about his family leaving him at home. The title of the movie is about Kevin's ordinary life in his family. He is alone in his own home. Even though he's in the midst of this huge family, he is Mm -hmm. alone. And the only time that he actually has uh, good friendships are when his family is not around. He wants to. He wants to not be alone. He he is open to have these interactions, but the only people that he ends up being able to connect with are all of these, you know, loners. Old Man Marley and the creepy Santa. Old Man Marley, which, which just furthers yeah, the this, creepy Santa. This this distance between what we think is good fortune and ill fortune. Typically, you would say yep. your your family leaving is bad, but in Kevin's case, mm-hmm. it's the only opportunity he has to become his true self. And that's right. And, that's why it's a hero's make, journey, man. Make true relationships. So we have. And when they come back, he's just the annoying little kid again, and he's back home so alone. So it's back. Yep. The only time he's to, the only time he's not home alone world. is when his yeah. family's so gone. So it just it just yeah. follows this straight line where every time we think, oh that was good, oh wait that might have been bad. Oh look, he was able to go get his groceries on his own, except he was almost hit by the wet bandits. Oh, now he has to escape the wet bandits. Yep. Oh, that's scary. But because he was able to escape them, he found out about their plan, and he'll be ready for them. So it's yeah. always this push and pull, this tug. So it, it, you never really know. Just like life, Home Alone is life. I mean, Home Alone don't lie. So just like life, you, you're never really sure if what's happening to you is actually good fortune or ill fortune until you have the fuller context, and the more context you have, the flatter the oh, line. the fuller context. Yeah. Yes, yes, fuller, like his, his cousin. Like yeah. his cousin that pees the bed. But, I mean, it's like when <laughs> Alex Pruitt gets uh, chicken pox um, and has to stay out of school, but because he has the chicken pox and he's out of school, he's able to discover uh, the spies who are working for uh, the North hey Korean man. terrorists? Who are trying to steal? You are the, this. You are what no, 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 what no. He's trying. He's trying audio. to. No, I lost audio. What happened? He, yes. What? It's, it's Home Alone not, There's no such movie. No, that's absolutely. No. It's wait. First uh, off, it's a, Kevin McAllister. Kevin McAllister's not in Home mm-hmm. Alone Three. No, but the screenplay is by Culkin. John Hughes. Yeah. That's, that's a John Hughes. Grab. That's a John Hughes this joint. Call it cash grab. <laughs> this is like that. Uh, what was that show on Netflix um, about the? the Which one? There's so many to choose from. Community <laughs> college football team. The Ju- the Ju- the uh, JUCO football team. What was that called? Oh. Um, I keep thinking True Grit, uh, which clearly that's not right. No, but it's, it is like that. Any given Tuesday. Uh, oh, damn it. But anyway, they follow... Under the lights. Friday night they, lights. No, they follow <laughs> East Mississippi for two seasons, and then they went to Kansas, and as far as I'm concerned, that's, damn a, it, that's, what is a, that that's a different story. We all have the internet right in front of us, so any of us could look it up. 
But that's why I, anyway. No, that's not as good. That's why, that's why I would say of any of the story structures that uh, Home Alone is, as far as Vonnegut goes, it's, it's, it most closely follows the Shakespearean which way is up story uh, where there's a lot of ambiguity in exactly what is happening and whether or not it is good or ill fortune. It's mo- it most closely resembles real life. Last chance you. There you go. <laughs> there you go. It most closely resembles life. Last chance life. you. Yeah. Hmm. I like it. I wouldn't have. I wouldn't have pegged Home Alone for a flatline uh, Macbeth. Macbeth story off the top, but you've convinced me. I like yeah. it. Yeah. It's it's Shakespearean in nature. That's why it's so great. Top five for sure. Top three. Oh, it's an outstanding movie. I watched it about six, eight months ago. It's an outstanding movie. I watched it about six, sure. six to eight times last month, so similar. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. <laughs> I, I always try to watch it between Thanksgiving and Christmas, but it was pandemic year, mm. so I didn't watch. But because I got a jump on it, and I watched it in, like, July because I was still locked in my house. Mm. Well, to end on a positive note, um, even though the first two movies are downers... There's only one um, movie. I did want to let you know, Roger Ebert uh, gave Home Alone 3 three out of four stars and said he found it to be fresh, very funny, and better than the first two. Mm. So if you're looking well, for a feel-good movie... wasn't such a liar. Yeah, if you're looking for a feel-good movie, check out Home Alone mm. 3. Not canon. <laughs> and Karate Kid 4. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, we've already got how you learn to ju- how you learn to crouch like tiger. <laughs> <laughs> so we kept it to an hour. We we honored yeah, our not, we honored our promise. Not even so. Close. I feel good about this. I think we got a lot well, done at this tonight. Point, I feel great right at now. At this point, do we want to just keep going? I mean, well, I don't know. I I, I need to what? check the news because I've heard Olympus has fallen, <laughs> but. Um, Hell yeah! <laughs> Damn it, Morgan Freeman's in trouble. Let's this is cut bad. this yeah, short. This is bad. <laughs> okay, so nobody wants to talk about Nickelodeon having an NFL game with a SpongeBob SquarePants preseason or pregame show. Was that on our headlines? It wasn't this week. I mean, I put it on there a couple weeks ago, and we still have never. That was last week. We still yeah. haven't gotten around to it. And I, I think it's worth... Well, all right, so it. here's what's happening. So when they ex- this year, the NFL has expanded their preseason, or their postseason. I keep saying preseason, postseason. They've gone from mm-hmm. six teams to seven teams. So that means they put out uh, a request for proposals. Is that what you call it, Rowdy? Uh, RFP, RFP? To say, who wants to host these other games? Well, who jumped in? CBS. Now, what did, what did the NFL like about CBS's bid? Well, not only did they say, we're going to show it on CBS, but we're going to show it on Nickelodeon. Say, what? That's right. And the NFL is going to show one wild card game on Nickelodeon. That's weird. Wait, it gets weirder. You can't do that on yeah, television. You can do that. Are they going to slime somebody every time they get they, a touchdown? They do plan on sliming people. That that is going to be part of the pregame show, which is going to be hosted by uh, Von Miller, Atlantis Morrison, SpongeBob SquarePants, and other uh, <laughs> other folks from there. It's going to include SpongeBob SquarePants and 
other characters. I don't know what. Meat Wad. Lake Yucky Muck. Oh, that's that's Adult yeah, Swim. Yeah, that's Adult Swim. As well as e- Ian Eagle's son uh, and Nate Burleson. So Ian Eagle, the, the um, announcer who's also on CBS. Yeah. yeah. So his son, Noah yeah. Eagle, who's the, host, uh, the voice of the Clippers, is going to be the one calling the game with Nate Burleson. And Nickelodeon mm, performer Gabrielle okay. Nava Green, who's on the show All That. Do you guys remember All That? Oh, no. Okay. She's... We didn't have cable at, okay. that, at well, that time. My parents didn't get cable until I went to college. Yeah, that's a good move. Cool. Good move. My parents didn't start taking <laughs> my parents didn't start taking vacations until we left the house. Then they're like, "We're we're going on our fifth yeah. cruise in four years." I'm like, "Oh, that's interesting." That was that was on <laughs> yes, purpose. for sure. They're also going to have a 14 year old <laughs> uh, sideline reporter, Lex Lumpkin, who is also on all that. Where's Where's Olmec uh, in all this? That's probably in the oh, the, the halftime owl? show. No, the uh, the he- legend, the hidden temple. Uh, yep, God. That may be it. He's gonna he's gonna toss all kinds of. That chaos might be the halftime show because SpongeBob SquarePants is going to perform. I'm so confused. At halftime. That's right. SpongeBob per- SquarePants is going to perform at halftime. I don't know how they're going to do that. I didn't hmm. know he was an entertainer. SpongeBob? Oh yeah, he he lives in a something under yeah. the sea. Yeah. So no, I thought he was just a method actor. <laughs> right. He's inhabited the character. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's that's exactly what, that's course. exactly what happened. He's like. So do you have cable? Will you be able to watch this game? Y- yeah, I'll be able to watch it. Oh yeah, YouTube TV's got Nickelodeon to, player. I now that you're talking about it, this is actually kind of an interesting idea. Like, is SpongeBob SquarePants actually an actor? And it's like it's like. Um, Andy Kaufman and Tony Clifton. Like SpongeBob is somebody's Tony there you Clifton. Go. Yeah. I, I like be. it. We should yeah. we should get uh Yeah, like it's Bart Simpson. Yeah, an Bart actor. Simpson is actually SpongeBob. It's like he's <laughs> yeah. Andy Andy Kaufman and Tony Clifton is to Bart Simpson. It's Bart Simpson's he's career. He grew up and he SpongeBob. became SpongeBob. Yeah. <laughs> so this is but the SpongeBob cartoon that Heard we it here see first. is a fictitious representation of the real SpongeBob. Here's a what? That's why they're oh, voiced a by real Bart SpongeBob? Simpson. And yeah, that's why the cartoon SpongeBob is voiced oh, yeah. by a different voice actor than Nancy Cartwright, who does Bart Simpson. Oh. It's like how the Grail Knight in Indiana Jones is not here played we by go. the same right. actor who right. plays Old Man Marley. But it's, it's the same. It's Robert person. Pattinson's Batman versus uh, uh, Michael Keaton's Batman. Still Batman. Just right. Different. Same guy. And about to be Batman again. Batman returns. It's like what they should have done with Luke Skywalker in the end of Mandalorian. Spoiler. They should have had Sebastian Stan. Oh, you mean not deep 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 fake fake him, but just like let him be? Yep. Yep. So just to be clear, like let's wrap this up here, guys. Let's land this thing. Yeah, because we're about at the (laughs) one hour mark. I like how you said spoiler after yeah, you spoiled it. That's how you it. do it, right? I did it right. I did the I did the internet right. <laughs> <sighs> it's not a spoiler alert. I'm telling you I just gave you a spoiler. It's like if it, Yeah. I'm just reassuring you that you have mm-hmm, been spoiled. Yeah. Like it's 
if I'm a server at a restaurant, I'll say, here's your dinner, BLT. So it tells you what your dinner was. That's what I did. I just reconfirmed yeah. what I just did. Like. Yes. So to wrap okay. this up, Nickelodeon showing the NFL game. Who's going to do the pregame show? SpongeBob. Who's going to do the halftime show? SpongeBob. There's probably going to be slime somewhere along the line. The guy who's calling the game is 24 years old. The other guy is Nate Burleson. And they're going to have two teenage, <laughs> two, two teenage reporters, one on the sideline and one in a three-person booth. It's going to be nuts. Well, I think that if this works, the NFL should just become the Nickelodeon Football League. It'd be it way would more be so much more entertaining. If they said water. Hey, eat my shorts, Booger McFarlane. <laughs> <laughs> yes, where's your Booger Mobile now? Anyway. All right, yeah. that's it. We did it. We did sports and Home Alone. As always, I want to thank, and I don't know if they want to be thanked this week, but let's drag them in here. I want to thank the Minister of Sound, Mikey, Jet Belly Music, the Commissioner, Brandon Casburn, Food, food Editor, Dirt Dennis Chu, and the Honorary Ball Boy this week Loss. is... Don't say Devontae Smith. Hey, back up off of it and set your cup down. Oh. All right? Put it in the A-ya. We got to give a big shout out to Dr. Dre, who had a brain aneurysm yesterday and seems to be recovering just fine at Cedar sinai in Los Angeles. So big up to Dr. Dre. We need more beats before you go be with whoever you're going to be with. Wow. He's, he's recovering, huh? Can't keep a good man down, I guess. Yeah. That's what I hear. All right. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, or email us at sportssportsportspod at gmail.com with any questions, headlines, or topics you want to discuss. And don't forget to rate us and subscribe. New episodes will be there every Thursday where we will ask, how about some sports? How about it?